Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Black and brown people out there listening, you drive the trains. You pack the meat. You open up the factories. You drive the trailers. You chop the trees down. You drive the buses. Those are frontline workers. Mm -hmm. That's you. So when they had the vaccine, they had to make sure that the front line doesn't break. I think that we're all different. We all come from different places. We've all had different experiences and hold dear to different beliefs. And uh, what it is that you do with your body when it comes to putting medicine in there uh, should be your choice, um, free of the ridicule and the opinion of others. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up. The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? Because it's not a matter of my liberation. It's also a matter of yours. And if you're working, if we're working together, it's not because we're going to do something for the poor black people. We're going to do something for each other to save this really rather frightening world. Whatever our differences, we are fellow Americans. And please believe me when I say... No association has ever meant more to me than that. I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Okay, I just want to speak for myself. I am double vaccinated uh, with the booster. The only reason I'm double vaccinated, I can't be triple or quadruple vaccinated with four boosters. I am as pro-vaccine as you can get. Um, However, not everybody is. And in the Black community in particular, there is a raging debate about how we should relate to the vaccine, to the mandates. And I wanted to just have an episode here where we pull back the curtain on that whole discussion and give you some insight into some of the real pros and cons and, and, and back and forth that's happening in a community, I think it's you know really, really uh, critical for how the politics of the vaccine plays out. Now, on this episode, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and the COVID-19 vaccines, but we're talking about the personal factors that are shaping people's decisions about how they want to deal with it. We do not claim to be medical or scientific experts, and nor are our guests. They're not medical or scientific experts either. And it's really important to note that these conversations were recorded prior to this current outbreak of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Look, to me, these you know dangerous new variants make the conversation even more pressing. And now I really hope that everybody gets a vaccine. If you want up-to-date medical and scientific information about COVID-19, about the COVID-19 vaccines, please visit the CDC or the WHO websites. And we're going to put those links uh, for you in our resources so you can you know, do your own research in a real way. So this is important. And it's such an important topic. I want to bring you some voices that you may not have already heard a thousand times on this and some perspectives from deep inside the black community you may or may not have been exposed to. And if you have been exposed to, you're not hearing it every night on the news. We're going to hear from a filmmaker named Dion Taylor. Uh, He's somebody who I agree with a little bit more. He's more pro-vaccine. But the way he comes to his position and the way that he comes to his reasoning on it is a way you don't always hear. And then on the other side, 
you're going to hear from somebody I also respect a great deal. His name is Jonathan Isaac. Uh, He's a power forward for the NBA team, the Orlando Magic. Now, he is vaccine hesitant, as are a lot of people, and you're going to hear from him as well. My challenge to this audience, to the Uncommon Ground community, is to take the opportunity to do something we don't often do, which is to listen, not to decide do you agree or disagree. That is not the spirit I want you to bring to this conversation. I want you to listen not for agreement, but for understanding. No matter where you come down on the issue, do you understand? Could you have a little bit more understanding of why someone might feel the way they feel about the facts? If you have a neighbor that you disagree with, but you know where they're coming from, you disagree with them, but you know, look, she's a refugee from another country, or he just lost his son two summers ago, you suddenly have a totally different context to hold that disagreement. If you disagree with with them, and you don't even understand where the heck they're coming from, it's hard to have a neighborhood, let alone a nation, on that basis. And with those caveats, I want to start with Dion. Now, Dion's a friend of mine. We've been in the trenches together on a lot of political stuff, but he's mainly known as an independent filmmaker. He has directed all kind of cool films like Fatale, Black and Blue, The House Next Door. Dion uses his platforms for good. He's done campaigns like Be Woke Vote. He's tapped into the culture in a way that very few people can match. And that's why he's been working with the Biden White House and a bunch of other folks, the the Conference on National Black Churches and others, to build a campaign called Facts Over Politics, which is encouraging people to get the vaccine. Now, when you listen to, to Dion, I want you to track a couple things. One, he was hesitant himself, but he had a reason to take this vaccine. And he's going to explain that to you. And he also, once he got the vaccine, he actually had a breakthrough infection. And he credits the vaccine with possibly saving his life in the face of that. So I want you to take a listen to somebody who, especially if you yourself are vaccine hesitant, I think has some very interesting things to say. I think he's coming from a very different place than a lot of people who are promoting the vaccine are coming from. And you're going to hear from Dion Taylor right after this. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I've known you for a long time, but tell my Uncommon Ground community, who is Dion Taylor? Oh man, <laughs> uh, that's tough, man. Uh, you know what? First off, I'm a I'm a black man uh, raised by a black woman. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. A strong, a strong black woman. I'm a filmmaker, and um, I'm someone that found his own way. Uh, like mm-hmm. a lot of young kids in America coming from inner cities, I was a basketball player bouncing the ball, trying to figure out life, trying to make sure I stayed away from jail and drugs and prison. And, <laughs> You know, all that good stuff, man. And, um, and was blessed enough, man, to actually be focused enough at a young age to become a really good basketball player. And eventually that sport allowed me to travel the world, get a full ride scholarship to go to college. And then eventually took me abroad where I was able to play ball professionally overseas. And um, there is where, you know, I found my passion for film mm. and uh, being as crazy as I am. Yeah. <laughs> I took a leap and went after filmmaking. And uh, 15 years later, I'm, you know, we own uh, arguably the biggest independent film company in Hollywood. We've made mm-hmm. some incredible movies. I've wrote directed movies such as The Intruder, Black and Blue, starring Naomi Harris, Fatal, starring two-time Academy Award winner Hilary Swank, Michael Ely, Tyron Turner. Created franchises, comedy franchises like Meet the Blacks with Mike Epps and Cat Williams. Uh, but more importantly, as I started finding my way with film, something else touched my heart, which was philanthropy. Mm. Uh, I was blessed enough to meet a, a young man named Robert Smith uh, years ago, who you know inspired me in a just an amazing way. Became a big brother figure to me, and someone who said, "Hey, man, always put other people first. And uh, we've been doing a good job of that. That's that's so crazy, you know, Robert Smith, a multi-billionaire. Uh, I think the I think the richest black guy in America, um, yeah. and you know who's you know been a supporter of, of mine as well as yours. You know we're on the I'm on the Reform Alliance board with him, and it's just unbelievable how many people he's been willing to invest in. And then you know you're telling the truth in terms of what you've been able to do. It's really crazy. You know I live here in L.A. It is so difficult for I mean look we can be the stars. We ain't supposed to own the studio. Uh, that's that's going too far Um, and uh, the fact that you've been able to do it and do it independently I think has meant that unlike a lot of other people who are successful uh, your success really comes from your connection to the community and I think that because you do that when you speak whether you're talking to people at the White House level when you're talking to people at the social media level the Hollywood level people take you very seriously and that's really why I wanted you to be here to be a part of my Uncommon Ground community you know You've been very passionate about making sure that we get vaccinated. And a lot of African-Americans, you know, have been hesitant uh, pointing to, you know, real issues in the past, uh, concerns here in the present. Um, but you've, you said, listen, all that you understand, but you've been passionate. Why have you been so passionate about making sure that African-Americans uh, have access to the vaccine? My passion, my drive, you know, is comes from a, always from a place of realness. Uh, we've now launched uh, our own campaign uh, along with the uh, CNBC, the Black churches uh, across the country, 
we've launched a campaign of, that we're calling Facts Over Politics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's to initiate and to let people understand how important the vaccine is. Now, everyone has their reason or their reason they do not want to take the vaccine. You know, it took me a while to figure this out, but my mom is just turned 77 years old. She has Alzheimer's. She has 24-hour care. I am in her life significantly. And uh, the last thing I want to do is kill my mom. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this is, this is a tough decision for me early on when this whole thing started. And I started doing my homework, man. I started reading. I started researching. I had multiple calls with the White House, some of them with you. Right. We've had scientists explain to us what it is. But more importantly, my first step was for my mom. You know what I mean? And then it was to make sure that, you know, I watched this thing destroy black families. The virus. Yeah, I watched the virus, you know, kill two of my older uncles, rip through a few friends of mine. And uh, I was just like, man, whatever they got that could, that could give me a chance at it, if I get it, I want to have it. You know what I mean? And uh, so I took the chance and got vaccinated. And since I've been vaccinated, man, you know, Obviously, we all kind of like self-doctor ourselves. We like, let yeah. me see how I feel. You know what I mean? Let me see yeah. how I'm moving. And uh, I've been I've been great, man. But I will tell you this. Two months ago, being fully vaccinated, I got in a car with some people that I trust and got the phone call. Uh, that was about three months ago now. Four, four months, excuse me. Four months ago. Mm. Somebody called me and said, man, I got COVID. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> right? So I'm, like, so I'm like, oh, man. So day later, you know, I started feeling a certain type of way. Now I'm vaccinated. And um, two days later, I'm sick. Wow. And uh, yeah, man, for five, six days, I go down hard. Wow. I mean, when I say hard, man, I go down hard. Wow. Now, here's what's crazy. I have asthma. I play basketball. I have asthma. I've had it my whole life. My biggest fear with COVID had always been the chest. You know what I mean? I'm going mm-hmm. like, please, I don't want it to get to where I can't breathe. Right. Three days, four days, five days, I'm recovering. The other people that were infected, two, three weeks, they still dealing with it, coughing, mm-hmm. can't breathe, choking. You know what I mean? The whole wow. sweats, everything you could think of. And the only thing I could credit to me turning over that fast was the fact that I was vaccinated. For me, I'm telling people, man, look, this is, this is Russian roulette. You can, you can walk around and be like, I'm cool, I'm fine, I'm strong, you know, I'm healthy, I run fast, I jump, whatever that might be. You don't ever understand how this thing will affect you. Right. But more importantly, like I said, you have to have some type of instinctual effort to be like, I'm doing this because of I feel like I need to do it or I'm doing it because my parents, I'm doing it because I want to be around my kids. My kids might have some type of deficiency, whatever it might be. My son, my daughter, they all have asthma. Right. So, you know, we had to just be in the world. We like, man, we got to take every precaution necessary. I don't want to be the person standing there going, damn, man, I wonder if I would have got vaccinated if. Exactly. I wish. Yeah, I wish. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I, I don't hear, now we have, you know, 200 million people who are vaccinated. I don't hear that many people saying, man, I got vaccinated. I really regret it. I got, no, I got vaccinated. No, really, Man, I, what did I do that for? I wish I had never done that. I don't, I don't, I'm not hearing that as much. I am hearing people who are not vaccinated saying that they regret it. I mean, and also just the storytelling you just did. I mean, if we just heard more of that, I mean, that's as honest as you can possibly get. I got vaccinated and I got it anyway, but I was back on my feet in a week and my homeboys are still struggling a month later. Like that, I mean, 
man, it's tough. I mean, it's real. That lets that lets you know as you as you think about uh, you know the fears and concerns in the community. You know, uh, you do understand though why some people are hesitant. You know, I mean, you must hear it all the time. Yeah, I, I was hesitant. Which is, <laughs> I, I was I was the most scared of everybody. I know. I'm like, nah, I'm cool, man. It took me a long time, but like I said, part of you know truth over politics is and and that's why that's that's why we started the initiative so you can understand facts not not the goofy messaging that we've been getting look my 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 strong belief is this around the vaccines and you know it's an argument people could have their own opinion this is my opinion the way this was presented to us was wrong tell me about it why okay? wrong in other words what i'm saying is when you think about the reason that people are this skeptical at the highest clip, like I was as well, is because we watched a former president stand up there, <laughs> call it warp speed, you know, do, do these different types of tactics. We watched them act like they was making something from, out, of, out of scratch, like biscuits. You know what I mean? And the reality was, that's not what was going on. Yeah, it's been 20 the years reality, in the making. They've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. That man wasn't the first person to understand coronavirus. Like this has been this has been something that has been being worked on for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But when you when we live in a microwave society, which we do now, people just was like, okay, bam. Oh, he made it. He made it last week. Right. Now they're finna give it to us. <laughs> right. And people, <laughs> when you think about how it was, how it was put out there. And then when you roll the wrong messages out with it. So I remember riding through LA recently, like on the, on the billboards out there, it's like, take the jab with a big needle. And I'm going like, <laughs> yo, you can't, you can't put that in the black community, like take the jab with a big giant needle with some dripping. Up. And I said, man, this is all wrong. So when, but what happens when people not listening, when, when, when the White House is not listening to people that are truth speakers saying, hey, look, you got to speak to us this way. You got to explain it to us that way. I think it was set up wrong from the beginning. Right. And now we're trying to un undo that, unpack that. Yeah, that's one of my, my big frustrations is, you know, the, you have the insiders and you have the outsiders. Right. And so you always have certain people who are in a position to go get the big contract, to get the money. Man. Then they, they make the ad. They it's make the, us. you know, they make the, the, the billboards, they put it's up the radio us. spots and the mere fact that it's the same corny people who clearly have never been in nobody's community center, youth center, oh, barbershop, on, you know, you laundromat. Finna make, make me disconnect from the Zoom, man. <laughs> Van, man, can I, Van, listen, man, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I hope everybody out there listening, Van, I love you, man. And, mm -hmm. and, and you are an incredible brother, man. And I know you personally. I appreciate it. This right here, what you're talking about, mm -hmm. is something that we have to fix. Yeah. What's happening is it's a repetitive cycle of people that are in line, that have been in line for the last four or five decades. Right. And every time real money comes down, they the go money down. goes to those people, and those people are doing nothing with that money but keeping it, patting their pockets, acting like they're doing stuff for the communities, and then be like, look, we did this. We did right. a billboard. We did this. Meanwhile, it's people out there really on the ground saying, man, can we just get 1% of the money to really help our community? Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so we're in a, we're in a crossroad right now, man, where I truly believe this is the reckoning. I think all of this is getting ready to turn over right now because if you watch it, everything is crumbling from the top down. So in other words, we're watching the, the, the politics break. People going like, hmm, 
Never really thought about it this way. Look at how both of them look, right? Then you're going like, oh, okay, well, what did he just say? No, nah, I don't buy that either, right? So you're starting to watch and then you're seeing people going like, hey, we went out and we did this and we did that. And people going like, no, nah, you really didn't do that. Right. You know what I mean? So now what's going to happen is I believe there's a new group of people coming up like myself and yeah. others that are in the communities like, no, nah, we're not doing that no more. Give us the money so we can help or... We're getting ready to do it ourselves and expose the fact that you guys are getting this much money and not doing what you're supposed to do in our communities. Yeah. Well, look, I, I um, uh, amen, amen, and amen. I mean, uh, a lot of the debate now is about the vaccine mandates. How do you feel like when, it, you know, should it be mandatory? Should teachers have to get it? Should basketball players have to get it? I mean, what's your view in terms of the mandates? You know, all I could do is as a filmmaker is frame it how I see it. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. 11 months ago, 12 months ago, everybody just close your eyes for a minute and just think. 12 months ago, we were in our house. We could not go out. The streets were bare. We were watching the news and we were seeing bodies being loaded into big rig trucks, cooler trucks. There was no vaccine present. And we was praying every day that someone would come up with something that could get us back to normality. That was 12 months ago. Right. No one was saying, if they make a vaccine, I ain't taking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, was, we was going like, God, please like, give me get something, man. I got to get back to work. I got to do what I need to do. We were in a global pandemic, meaning that the entire world, every country you could think of was going through that same exact thing. This was not uh, a breakout of chicken pox where you could be like, I don't want to, if I get chicken pox, I'm cool. This was not a breakout of, you know, something randomly that just could affect your life. This was, this was something that was killing people. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, when you get now to mandates, we should all be big enough to understand that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. We should all be big enough to understand, like at some point, you know, and let me let me let me frame this so people out there that that, that listen to this really understand this. When we first started doing the vaccine thing, everybody, the biggest thing between in our coach was like, why are they trying to help us now? Right. Why, why, why y'all trying to get a vaccine to us now? Y'all ain't never gave us nothing. I was one of the people too, mm-hmm. until I had to break it down and be like, let me understand why they're trying to give us the vaccine. Black and brown people out there listening, you drive the trains. You pack the meat, you open up the factories, you drive the trailers, you chop the trees down, you drive the buses. Those are frontline workers. Mm-hmm. That's you. So when they had the vaccine, they had to make sure that the front line doesn't break because if the front line breaks, what happens to the country, Van Jones? It goes right, right down, all the way down. Okay. So now you know the mandate's going to come based on the fact that they have to make sure that the front line never breaks. Or the country would break. I feel like the NBA is in a is in a in a very awkward situation right now. Even understanding that ninety something percent of the guys have been vaccinated. Look, in my industry right now, to go to the award shows or any of that, you have to be vaccinated and you have to have a clear test. Now, no one's playing any games with that. So you could be like, man, I'm sitting out, and 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 you can sit out. But the reality is, as that keeps tightening up, tightening up, tightening up. You know, this is what it's going to be, man. So my, 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 guess my answer to it is I'm okay seeing it become mandated, but I also believe it needs to come out over time. Well, look, man, I, 
how you approach stuff, man, if, if the people in Congress and the White House and stuff would approach it with the same level of uh, honesty and respect for everybody, literally 95% of the problems that we have would go away. Thank you so much, man. I want to put one more shout out to the CNBC, man, the black churches out there. Please, you guys, go do your research. Go read up on it and see what you need to do to protect yourself against this disease that's killing us at a high rate, man. One time, man. Facts over politics, man. Check us out. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you, brother. One of the things I really love about Dion is he just keeps it real. <laughs> he keeps it real. He is talking about something that really you don't hear enough about. And it is how sometimes the messaging and the money that's supposed to go to these causes just gets squandered, just gets wasted, doesn't make a big difference the way that's supposed to, especially the way that, you know, calling Operation Warp Speed, Warp Speed, uh, made people think it was being rushed as opposed to being based on technology that's been around for a couple decades now. And also the way that some of the messaging was just landing like a, like a, a big brick in communities where people could have been engaged differently. I think voices like Dion's need to be lifted up more and not just on this issue, on so many other issues. You know, it's you can tell when someone is speaking from an authentic experience in a community versus when they're just communicating at a community. And that's one of the big things I took away from Dion. And I think you'll get a, you're going to have a similar experience with Jonathan Isaac. I also want to acknowledge that, especially for Jonathan, uh, he is a person of deep faith, as am I. And some people who are not people of faith, when you start hearing that old faith talk, you get triggered and traumatized back to whatever dogmatism you got exposed to and or just doesn't land with you. I encourage you to keep listening. Don't dismiss, don't discount just because the person is speaking from a position of faith. See if you can stick with it long enough to understand, again, where's this person coming from? I think people who are people of faith need to be much more respectful of people who are more secular and I think it also needs to go the other direction. I think respect's got to go in both ways. Jonathan Isaac is, again, he's a 24-year-old power forward for Orlando Magic. In addition to being well-known as a talented player, a big up-and-comer in the NBA, Jonathan has recently made a bunch of headlines for being one of the few NBA players who decided not to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And he believes that he was misrepresented in his views, and so he held a press conference to explain his stance. Now, if you haven't heard that video, I want you to hear it right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-science. Uh, I didn't come to my current vaccination status by studying Black history or watching Donald Trump press conferences. I have nothing but the utmost respect for every healthcare um, worker and person in Orlando and all across the world that have worked tirelessly to keep us safe. Uh, my mom has worked in healthcare for a really long time. Um, I thank God I'm grateful that I live in a society where vaccines are possible and we can uh, uh, protect ourselves and have the means to protect ourselves for the first in the first place. Um, but with that being said, it is my belief that the, the vaccine status of every person should be their own choice um, and completely up to them without the without bullying, without being pressured or without being forced into doing so. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm uncomfortable with taking the vaccine at this time. I think that we're all different. We all come from different places. We've all had different experiences and hold dear to different beliefs. And uh, what it is that you do with your body when it comes to putting medicine in there uh, should be your choice, um, free of the ridicule and the opinion of others. Now, what you're gonna hear in this interview is that Jonathan believes that getting a vaccine 
should be a personal choice and not something that is mandated for you to keep your job. Now, to be clear, Jonathan, is he's not presently at risk of losing his job. The NBA doesn't even have a mandate. But there are some cities uh, like uh, San Francisco, New York City, Los Angeles, that do have mandates that might affect a player's ability to play indoors. Of course, you know, the vast majority of players, professional players in the NBA, the NFL, et cetera, are vaccinated. But those who are not continue to make a bunch of headlines. And I think it's important for us to understand where they're coming from. Now, listen, vaccine hesitancy is a big sticking point right now on the national level for individuals. Jonathan's got a nuanced take. He's not an anti-vaxxer, as he says over and over again. And he agrees that some people should get a vaccine. He's just concerned about the polarization that he sees being promoted in what he calls the media. So I think it's very, very important for us to listen to Jonathan. It's not so much to me about being open-minded. It's being open-hearted. It does take some courage to go against the grain, as this young man is doing. It does take some courage to, to stand on your beliefs even when they're not popular. And I think that we can do better, those of us who would like to see more people support the vaccine, if we have a much deeper, richer, more nuanced understanding of where some people are coming from. That said, as you listen to Jonathan or Dion or Van Jones or anybody else, if you are not sure about whether you want to get the vaccine, we strongly suggest that you not rely on a podcast, but that you consult a health professional After a short break, you're going to hear from Jonathan Isaac. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, you can team up with friends in Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Where you can meet talking flowers. Life's full of surprises. And where piranha plants sing. (laughs) And where Mario, Luigi, and Peach turn into elephants. Wowie zowie! And where this announcer turns into a... Super tiny announcer! (laughs) That's not in the game. Sorry, got a little excited. Nintendo Switch, the home of Mario and friends. Game rated E for everyone. Game and systems sold separately. My name is Jonathan Isaac. I was born in Bronx, New York. I lived there till I was about 10. Uh, my parents had split up and I went with my mom, my four brothers and one sister to Naples, Florida. And that's where I started to pick up basketball. You know, basketball pretty much became, became my life, became everything. I got pretty good at it, became the number one player in the state of Florida, then moved on to go to Florida State for a year and then was drafted, six pick in the draft in 2017 to where I got to the Orlando Magic. To, to today's date, the most important thing about me, and, and you, you'll see it all over my socials and just how I express myself is, you know, my relationship with Christ. He's helped me become who I am. And, you know, nothing that I have or nothing that, that the man that I've become wouldn't be possible without him. And so uh, that's, that's pretty much Jonathan wrapped up. Well, I, hey, listen, I, I understand that too. You know, I was raised in the, in the, the church and you, you're from Florida. I'm from Tennessee. I think for people who are on the coasts, especially like the you know Northeast Coast and the West Coast, they don't really understand uh, the importance of the church. 
uh, for even socially, not just you know spiritually and religiously and theologically, but even socially. Uh, the first time I ever heard anybody applaud for me, grown folk smiling, showing their teeth, clapping their hands, looking at me, I was in church. Oh, wow. Yeah, ab- absolutely the same. We had a, a little group with me, my brothers, and my sister where we would sing in front of the church. And I, yeah. I absolutely hated it. But right. the, same, the same experience, the church really is a community for people to fellowship and grow in. And the same thing, I got the, the most attention that I did all my younger years were in church. Right. And, and I think that for Black men in particular, the one place I know I can walk in the door and I'm welcome mm. is a Black church. If I walk into a mall, if I walk into the state house, if I walk into the courthouse, if I walk into a restaurant, I may be welcome, I may not be. I know for sure, without any guess, if I walk into a black church, it's all love, it's all smiles. And so I think people have to understand that uh, when they begin to try to understand why are, uh, are black folks so committed. Uh, even black folk who don't go to church pretend they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they got a church home. <laughs> exactly. They got a church home. They ain't seen me since Easter, but I got a church home. Um, uh, but but how, how has that uh, impacted you? How, how does your, your faith uh, impact your, your, your walk and, and your, your work and your talk? You know, honestly, just in everything, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing. But, you know, when I think of, you know, allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life, it, 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 that's what it means. Lord is in like he, he, he leads everything. I, I try my best to model my decisions and my behavior and, and, you know, the things that I do in the community, just just anything, even on the court. Um, in a way that will be pleasing to him. And, uh, you know, it's it's paid off. How does it affect your play? How does it affect you as an athlete? I mean, seriously, like, I mean, somebody might uh, be listening. They, they they didn't get raised in the church. They they just think, okay, like athletics is just, you know, you, you practice, you work out, you work on your shot. What does that have to do with Jesus? You know, a lot of people think when I say that, especially young people, they're like, oh, so, you know, you're just supposed to be this this meek, quiet uh, NBA basketball player because you're a Christian. I'm like, no, like David was a warrior. And mm. thinking for myself, like God has given me a platform and he's given me an opportunity to give him glory with my gift as, a, as an athlete. And so when I step on the court, it, it, it's it's go time. It's it's a time to, you know, like I said, give God glory for the gift that he's given me. And I want to be the mm. best in order to, you know, make that platform bigger. And so mm. I think in the bigger picture, Jesus is in it because I want him, you know, his name and what he's done in my life to be glorified and and, and, and expressed everywhere. And so uh, that's why I grind so hard and I want to continue to, to become the yeah. best. Well, look, I, I, you definitely have done something extraordinary. I mean, it's so many young people want to be where you are. They want to be able to do the things that you've been able to do and you have taken your, your blessings and your gifts so seriously. Tell me a little bit about your, your mom. I think, you know, she's played a pretty big role in your life. My mom is just a G. You know, if I could keep her a buck, she's just, she's just a G. She holds it down. Um, you know, she's been, you know, six kids, six mm. kids. And, 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 you know, when they split up when I was 10 and she, we came to Florida, it was, it was just her. And so, right. you know, having to hold down the house and, uh, you know, keep it all together and, you know, work two and three jobs to make sure we were all okay. And everybody turned out good by the grace of God. And so, um, God. you know, I make sure that, you know, she's taken care of and, you know, living the life that she wants to live. You know, tell us a little bit about your, your stand. Like, what is, what is your concern? I mean, you know, I know that you are, uh, you're mega fit. You know, you're probably one of the most fit people in the world. You've already had COVID, so you have some antibodies probably that give you some protection. 
but you must have some concern or some fear or something as to why you wouldn't be comfortable with the vaccine. Just explain what that is. Uh, I would say to you, Ben, that I, I don't, I, I don't have a concern or fear, you know, per se, of the vaccine itself. You know, arriving in my decision to, to not get vaccinated was, you know, a, a plethora of things. Looking out at the landscape of, of everything that's going on and taking and taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. And, and for me, like you said, there, there are reasons why I'm like, you know what, I feel that I don't even need it right now. You know, I, I think the science has come out and it's clear that, you know, immunity from natural infection is is, is robust. It's long lasting. And like I said, I've, I've had it already. I'm, I'm fit. I, I, I don't have a fear of COVID, nor do I have a fear of um, the vaccine. What I'm understanding is that this is a this is a decision that you are going to make to take a step to protect yourself if you are to come in contact with the virus again, you know, not necessarily an unvaccinated person, but just the virus, because there are vaccinated people who are, you know, that can carry the virus as well. And so, but but on, on a larger scale, man, like stepping back and, and looking at everything that's happening, um, you know, what's happening with the media, what's happening with, you know, the, the people who who I feel the American people are caught in this, like in the, in this right versus left, uh, you know, war that's going on where, where one side wants to, uh, minimize anything that's wrong with the vaccine, any 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 you know thing that's bad or could have happened that's bad, and they want to promote everything that's good, which is you know what they want to do. And then the other side wants to not show any, wants to show everything that's negative, and not um, you know promote anything that's good. And uh, you know both people have been influenced on both sides. One one person is saying uh, you know I'm against the vaccine all. 100%. And the other person is saying, you know, I want to beat people over the head that have any type of reservation um, and not taking it. Um, and, and then at the same time, you have the people who, to me, are caught in the middle. Um, and, and to have people have to decide between their jobs and taking this vaccine, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, I do feel that I'm standing with a lot of the people who, you know, who, who feel that their freedoms and their liberties are being threatened by this. You know, uh, it is true that, that you know, vaccinated people can spread it, apparently they spread it a lot less. Um, so, I mean, what do you think about uh, the other vaccines, you know, the polio and those kind of things, um, you know, that you know, we, you know, you've been vaccinated against polio. I have. Nobody asked me a question about it. I was, you know, probably 10, 10 minutes old. <laughs> I don't know when they get, you know, um, what, what's, what's your sense about um, vaccinations overall and, and mandatory compulsory vaccinations overall? I would say, uh, you know, if, if, if we are to get into that conversation, we are going to have to be honest about the difference between. COVID and things like polio, um, when you sit down and you look at the numbers and you look at the the, the death rate, who is in the, the most uh, trouble or, or could be in the most trouble when you think about these different things like polio and, and measles, and it ultimately is kids, um, you know, and that's why it's, it's not necessarily a federal mandate where every institution has to force it, but specifically for kids and going to school. But when you do set these things side by side, you can understand that one thing is very different from the other. How could this have been handled in a way where maybe more people uh, would feel comfortable? Because it seems like there's it seems like there's two things that are going on. There is the 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 vaccine itself and whether or not you need it, whether or not you trust it, whether or not you want it. But then there's this other piece, which is the mandate and the, and the the pressure that you must do it. And I think you might be reacting a little bit to both. Yeah. So, so I, I would say the way that it could have been handled better, I, I think that the media holds such a responsibility to the public and to the American people to, to, 
to, to be truthful and honest, especially in the light of when you see that people are having to make these decisions that ultimately can compromise their work, their families and their health. And, and I'll give you my story when 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 it was found out that I wasn't vaccinated. Um, you know, the Rolling Stone had approached me and, you know, wanted to do an article and was saying, you know, just just in good faith, the guy approached the team and, and we did it. And, you know, talking to him on the phone, I was I was giving the exact same things that I was giving in that press conference and to you even and sharing, you know, my hesitancy, my concern. And then to have that article drop the next day. And I was completely, utterly misrepresented. I don't know if you've seen it, but one of the things they said was, you know, I, I came to my current vaccination status by studying black history and watching Donald Trump press conferences, you know, and they tried to paint me as an as an anti-vaxxer, anti-science, all this. And it, it, it was it was hard for me to understand. I was like, this isn't anything that I said. And then thinking, like, why, why does this have to happen? And so, and so that, that, that was rough and that was tough. And I'm thinking, you know, with, with everything that's going on and people are saying, you know, this is about public health. This is about protecting people. Then why does it have to be that way? And so um, I, I think that to handle this in the right way, you know, we have to, again, you know, follow the science like everybody's been saying and see that, you know, with the with the virus itself, with the vaccine that 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 doesn't stop. You noted that it does give you a less chance, but doesn't stop infection or transmission. You know, there's science that's promoting natural immunity. You have people's personal and you know religious hesitancies toward the vaccine. Uh, with all of that being said, I think that it could have came out and said, you know what? I encourage people to take the vaccine because it, it, it'll protect you. It'll give you protection, and and ultimately, you know, everybody else. But giving what we're dealing with and what we're looking at, this should be everyone's free choice to take it, you know, but I do encourage you to take it. And I think that if it was handled in that manner, I think we would have seen a, a much re- a much different response. And, you know, people would feel comfortable trusting, you know, the, the trusting what people are saying, trusting what the media is saying. But I, I do feel at this time it is really people are, are losing trust. People are, uh, you know, uh, are, are upset about what's being said, what's being put out there. And, and again, I just feel like the American people are kind of caught in this limbo of, you know, the, the, the right is saying something, the left is saying something. And they're like, well, what is the truth? Um, and they don't know. I mean, I, I hear what you're, what you're saying in that it almost feels like you have two advocates fighting instead of just a, a truth that's nuanced, it's complex, and, and you can feel the agendas. But I think the reason that people are focused on you is because you have such a big platform. And there are people who might listen to you who are not super fit. Uh, they might listen to you who, are, who have not had COVID. And then they might follow your uh, example and have a very different outcome from you. Do you see yourself as a role model in that way? And, and how do you take on the other side of the consequences of, as you're sticking up for one set of people, you may be jeopardizing another set of people? Yeah, I, I hear that, Van. And what I would say is that I, I, I don't want to be a role model as in, in your decision to take the vaccine or not. Um, and I think that I've been clear on that. Your decision to take the vaccine or not should be your own. And ultimately, you are going to be the one who is going to have to deal with the consequences. And so what, what I do feel that um, I am, per se, or being made into an advocate of is uh, being nuanced and having a conversation where people are allowed to be hesitant or, or, you know, ask questions, be nuanced, understand that this isn't a black and white issue where it's just you either should take it or you shouldn't, where people are having lots of questions, lots of things going on. You know, just 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 the, just the people feeling infringed upon on their personal autonomy. Uh, do you think it's 
weird. I mean, you know, for progressives in particular, I'm a progressive. And, you know, we often talk about kind of your body, your choice uh, when it comes to a woman's right to choose abortion or your body, your choice, your, your kind of personal dignity when we're talking about, uh, you know, the transgender and other uh, conversations. Do you feel it's, it's some hip, hypocrisy maybe on the part of progressives to draw a line and say, but when it comes to vaccines and public health, we're going to mandate. It's not, it's not your body, your choice. It's really the society's choice. I, I, th- I think that they are, you know, I, I think there are two different conversations. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, say you're calling anybody hypocritical. I think, I think as soon as you say that, it turns people off. I'm, I'm more for wanting to have the conversation and sit down with people, just like you're doing on this podcast and wanting to talk. Um, I, I think that if we are to put those two things at the table, you can draw some level of, you know, it being good here and not and, and not good here or not useful here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously with the, the 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 abortion and trans things, those conversations are very emotional and um, mm-hmm. hard to have. You know, especially in their gravity between you know men men and women. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that if 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 we are going to be on the side of it being your body, your choice on one thing. I think it does, you know, coherently follow that it should be with this. It, this is not the first time that you've been kind of in the minority with regard to a public controversy. You were one of the first players to stand for the anthem back when everybody was kneeling. And uh, a majority of players were kneeling, but you decided you wanted to stand. A majority of players have gotten the vaccine, but you decided that you are going to maintain a more hesitant position. Uh, what should people make of that? I would point that back to you um, in, in, the, in the sense that, you know, you, you made a decision as well, um, you know, that that was very, very you know, unpopular at the time. And, and you, you were willing to open yourself up to to attack, to, to criticism um, based on something that you believed in. And, um, right. you know, I, I, I commend you for that. And that's one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you on this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the same thing for me uh, where. You know, it's 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 not that I'm trying to be a, a troublemaker or just want to go against the status quo of what everyone is doing. Well, look, I, you know, um, first of all, I appreciate you acknowledging that I am. I've been willing to walk in the in the fire as well, um, being willing to work with Republican governors, senators, even a Republican president to get um, people out of prison. In my faith, we're supposed to focus on the least of these. Uh, Jesus says you're going to be judged by how you treat the least of these is nobody further down than somebody who's in prison. And they say we're one step out the grave. And so trying to free the captives and, and all those things, which, you know, come out of, um, out of our tradition, you do pay a cost sometimes. Do you find support in scripture or, or other support for um, the opposition to vaccines? Well, I, w- I would say not necessarily, um, not, not necessarily scripture. I, w- I wouldn't give you that. I wouldn't say that, Van. I would say that, you know, that there are people who understand that there is something going on that is greater than what we see. Um, and when you talk about the, the fact that you can, you know, omit that there are some things about these regulations that do not make sense. Um, and people do see the, the slippery road of eventually if, if they can deny your religious exemption on this, what can they deny your religious exemption on in the future? You know, I'm obviously very pro uh, vaccine uh, in terms of you know, the long history that we've had of being able to eradicate some of these tough diseases. And I think that's important. Um, I do have confidence. Um, you know, the MRNA process has been going on for about 20 years. I know a lot of the people in biotech and stuff like that I have confidence in the technology. 
And I think that for some uh, folks, uh, I'm more comfortable with the mandate than for others. So for me, when I think about, say, our police officers, you know, if a police officer comes over to your car and says, roll down your window, and they lean in and they start talking, it's uh, you know exponentially more likely if they have COVID that they can give it to you if they're not vaccinated. So for me, since I don't have a choice <laughs> just to talk to a police officer, <laughs> like if they, if they you come here, I want to talk to you, I have to talk to that person. If they say, pull your car over, I, they've, I've got to do what they say, uh, then, you know, they need to be doing everything they can to protect me. So I feel like there's some professions where it's really that serious that I do think that it makes sense for police departments to say, you have to do this. Um, this is a highly communicable disease. It does kill people. Uh, a traffic stop shouldn't result in somebody, you know, dying of COVID. So I think that that makes sense. Other things I really worry, uh, and I don't just worry about it from the point of view of uh, liberty and these kind of, kind of things. I do care about personal liberty, but I also just care about it from the point of view of what is the reaction going to be? Like if you do, like you can't just take an action and then not care about the reaction. And I think we have to be very intelligent. If you try to force a whole bunch of people to do something they don't like, then they're going to fight back. They're going to push back. And then do you want to manage that? And then how are you going to manage that? Um, I think you need to make sure that if you have a mandate, it's very defensible. It's very understandable. It's very clear, uh, the reasoning behind it. And then to the extent that you can make reasonable exceptions. Look, I mean, this is, um, this is a tough spot that you're in, in a way. And, uh, and I can tell you that you, that you take it seriously, you know, and, and I just, look, I, I, I applaud you. You know, like I said, we don't, we don't see it exactly the same way. Don't have to, um, you know, uh, I am not super fit. <laughs> uh, I have not had COVID. I'm in my fifties. I take medication for high blood pressure. I've had, I've, I'm now finally out of the pre-diabetic situation. I have to fight with my diet and appetite to get myself to a place where now I'm clear in terms of, um, you know, some of these, these health issues, but you know, you look, man, from my point of view, you know, you're a black man in your fifties. I'm like a snack for this virus. I'm like a Twinkie for this virus. I'm like what this virus is looking for. And, and, and I respect yeah. that. So, so again, yeah. like the position has nothing to do with anybody choosing to do what is right for them. Um, right. Like I said, I think, I think there's absolutely people who, who should, who should take the vaccine and be motivated to take the vaccine for several reasons. Um, you know, I, I just first and foremost just pray that God that heal everything that's going on and that you're going to be perfectly fine and safe. Um, but yeah, it, has, it, has not, it just has to do with giving people the freedom to choose. You can look at yourself and say, you know what, I have these complications. I have this going on. I'm going to take that step to go ahead and get vaccinated. And, you know, I stand with you on that. Just what I don't stand with is people who do have a hesitancy then being, you know, beaten up over it and losing their job. I don't think that's necessary for what we're dealing with. I really, really appreciated hearing from both of these men. And this is a conversation that's happening. Barbershops, nail salons, community centers, laundromats, you know, church basements. This, this is the conversation that's happening. And it doesn't happen in certain communities the way it happens on national television. And so I really wanted you to get a chance to be uh, a kind of fly on the wall for discussions that, that you know, just happened Thanksgiving. They're going to continue during the holidays and they're going to keep on happening. And as we have these conversations, I've got my view, you've got yours. I want us to keep in mind, though, what I think the big, big lessons were for me coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemic, coming out of that time when, you know, the whole planet was shut down by a little tiny virus. And we had to really look in the mirror and think, what does the future hold? 
you know, Jonathan Isaac is a person of faith, you know, in, in most of these religious traditions, when there's a plague that's sent and, you know, the people are, are suffering, there's usually some kind of lesson in that. There's some kind of wisdom, something people are supposed to take from that. And I see this as a plague. And to me, the big lessons that came out of the plague, for me at least, were about oneness and about wellness. The wellness piece is obvious. Both of our guests uh, talked a little bit about their health, their personal health, family members' health. This idea of us taking better care of ourselves, of our families, of each other, of the planet, to me, that was a very, very big takeaway. And I actually tried to make some changes in my personal life when it came to diet and everything else so that I could be healthier in general. But the oneness piece is something I'm afraid we're getting away from. I had gotten, honestly, before the pandemic, a little bit divorced from reality without realizing it. I had kind of begun to see the whole world through the lens of my apps. If, if I wanted something, uh, you just pull out your phone, you hit a button, and any product, any service just shows up. And I, and I had stopped thinking about the human beings on the other side of that app. I had stopped thinking about the fact that somebody's got to be in a warehouse someplace. Somebody's got to drive up uh, and get out of their car and, and talk to a person and get that package or get that food and, and move it. They're human beings on the other side of that app. And if that human being gets sick, it affects me. If that human being doesn't have health care, it affects me. If that human being uh, is not in a position to take care of their families, it affects me. That had gotten completely obliterated for me, completely lost for me. And what this virus taught was that even the folks at the very top of society, the folks on Wall Street, the folks you know in Silicon Valley, if there isn't a woman of color, often an immigrant, who can show up and take care of the baby or who can uh, show up at the nursing home facility and take care of grandma, even the richest people in the world can't function that the top folks are actually, their lives are based on people that we never thought about before. And we started calling them essential workers. We started lifting up the work, lifting up the dedication, lifting up the courage and the skill of people who I have frankly not thought about at all for a very long period of time, to my shame. But I began to understand once again how we're all connected, how we're all one and how much we all rely on each other and need each other, and how much uh, you know, the economy is interconnected in ways we just don't think about enough. And also, this virus, because of the way that it moved, it would just jump from person to person to person to person. Didn't care who you voted for, didn't care your income, didn't care your, your skin color, your hair texture, your eye shape. It just went from person to person to person. Now, some people that it hit were more vulnerable, but the virus itself did not discriminate. I think we still need a movement of love and empathy and understanding that can go from person to person to person too with the same velocity and get as many people as possible to come together to try to heal, to try to heal our political system, to try to heal some of our social divisions, to try to like literally heal our bodies, our, our food system. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen. And that can best happen when we come together. And so as we move to a different stage of the pandemic, as the pandemic becomes more endemic and just more a part of life, I don't want us to lose that commitment that many of us found to health and wellness, uh, to coming from a deeper place, to seeing the humanity in each other. I don't want these vaccine mandates and vaccine debates and that type of stuff to take away 
the only good thing that happened during COVID, which is that for many of us, our hearts did get a little more open. We did get a little more humbled. We did get a little more vulnerable. We did begin to understand that we're all in this together. I'm Van Jones. This is Uncommon Ground. This episode of Uncommon Ground addresses the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, vaccines, and vaccine hesitancy. These conversations were recorded prior to the discovery of the Omicron variant. It's really important to note that neither the Uncommon Ground team nor the guests on this episode are medical experts or experts in epidemiology. The content of this episode should not be taken as medical advice. For the most up-to-date information and guidance on COVID-19, please visit the CDC or WHO websites. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Adesua Agbanile, Sundus Hassan Noli, and Lindsay Cradlewell. Our managing producers are Lauren D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Morais, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Waltneen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jackman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.